third time lucky. Third time lucky. Means they take it from the top. Take it from the top. The top of the shaft. Top of the shaft. Just, just an alluring hint of the top of the shaft. Yes. They're very, very All nice. All the above. We're very nice. This is the Under the Bar podcast. Hmm. Uh, my name is Tom Hewitt. With me is Rawdon Dubois. And pushing the buttons for us is Cam. Cam. The, the mythical Cam. Mm. Cam's Enjoying got a, a, a soy <laughs> yes. flat white. Soy flat against white. Against our uh, uh, you know, instructions. But, mm. but things are going well for Cam. He's got yes. a date on Friday night. Yep. A nice little uh, dinner date. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's thinking maybe some Mexican, but yeah. I'm not sure. Be careful. You know, with some of the uh, dietary restrictions that yes. Cam has, you don't want to, on a date, yes. breach protocol and mm. have, particularly if you introduce dairy Leary, into the yep. mix, it could be uh, quite inflammatory. Yes. <laughs> yes. A, bit, a little bit leery. Yes. Yeah. Oh, the Be- beans. Beans as well. could be an issue too. Yeah. yeah, not comfortable, Cam. The beans and the dairy. Anyway, look, it's something to take into consideration. Mm. Now, a big show coming up here on yep. Under the Bar. We've got Mark Schaus. You know you make me want Schaus. Part two. Part yep. one was very well received, Rod. Good Rodin, feedback, yep. And we breathe a sigh of relief. I mean, we knew the content was high quality. Yeah, look, we just weren't sure how it would come across because yeah. it's a little heavy. Look, we had a we had a lab, lab coat between us. You had uh, one of your arms in it and I had the other arm. Uh, so it was one lab coat between us. We yes. weren't fully immersed, but yes. uh, it was a little uh, Dr. Hewitt and Dr. Dubois. Mm. Um, but look... It, 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 yeah, the feedback was good. Yeah, feedback was really good. And so part two, we're happy to bring to you guys. So what's, uh, what is Shousey going to with this one? So mate? we're going through serum chemistry and organ physiology. Yeah, so, so CMP, you might see this one on the uh, on the blood work. Yep. Yes, the complete metabolic panel or profile. Or, or comprehensive. Comprehensive. Yep. So what he's going to do with this one, he's going to go through a bit of uh, electrolyte balance. Yep. And the key of that, we know that's one of his pets. Yep. So all the sodium, the potassium, the chlorides of the world, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he'll link a bit of urea and other sort of kidney and organ markers yeah, and explain yeah. the i guess the bigger picture of how these uh, these organs work yep. and how to optimize health with them and, and also you know get a picture of that from looking at blood work from memory he does uh i mean you and i are aware of this but he does go into the um, uh, some of those markers can be elevated for a, a trained individual which is uh, different from a, a sedentary individual yes so uh, that's something to be uh, conscious of for our our uh, listeners yes yeah. uh, their demographic is usually training come back with some uh, markers elevated uh, if they're the markers that can be elevated then it's not that uh, big a deal that's right and that's one of the things he does well is he does link it back to a training uh, mm. individual uh, which is everyone who listens to this to this podcast well we hope so mm. except Cam speaking of people listening to the podcast we did get a nice little um, review on the iTunes page and uh, accordingly the true Celtic mm. the sea salt harvested yeah. off the coast of coast France, of France. Yep. a bit of ginger and a bit of c- cinnamon cinnamon yep. yeah. all of the above <laughs> I mean what doesn't that have what doesn't true Celtic have in it really sirloin cinnamon yes <laughs> very nice so this one came in from Josh uh, uh, Joshy. I think we'll indulge ourselves here Roy. yeah look I'll, let's I'll blow each other's trumpets <laughs> <laughs> blow our own trumpet. That's what you say, Tom. Yeah, blow away. That's gonna you go first. <laughs> that's going to go on the highlight yeah. reel for sure. Okay. A broad-ranging information-based podcast introducing yes. me to various industry-leading experts from around the world. Uh-huh. This podcast is a must-have in the tool chest of any coach or athlete. Mm. Because of these guys, I've learned plenty from some absolute world-class experts. Mm. The hosts are engaging and considerably yes. experienced them themselves. Oh, oh vastly. Very, very Attractive? Did he 
throw that in. Yes. Uh, there is a huge catalogue for you to peruse, and I'm positive mm. you will be able to find some absolute gold in their podcasts. So okay. thank you very much for that, Josh. You will get your true Celtic. Mm. And I think the key thing to take away there is that, um, you know what, we have actually got some pretty world-class experts on yeah. this program. Well, I thought you were going to say we were world-class experts. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We, we stand by that, that, that statement. <laughs> yes. We're definitely not in any way, shape. In fact, we haven't thrown the old uh, disclaimer in for a while. We'll, yeah. we'll do that now. Yeah. Everything that we say uh, shouldn't be followed no. in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah. Disregard everything. But this, the experts that come on, by all means, listen to what they have listen. to say to them absolutely yeah. right so that's that so for the true celtic if you would like to win yourself yep. some, how do they do it uh they go to the under the bar itunes page uh-huh. leave a review yep take a screenshot of that review yep. email that through to info just at, like josh did yes info at under the bar mm-hmm. yep and uh, then we give away two packets per episode mm-hmm. and we'll send it out to you and look, it doesn't have to be, uh, you don't have to make up lies like Josh did. You know, you can just say uh, it's okay. Um, and, you know, that'll probably get you some true Celtic as well. So yes. get amongst it. So one more little bit of I-dotting and T-crossing before mm. we get into our uh, first segment here, Rawdon. We did have an email came through. A couple of episodes back, I was talking about stress. Yep. The doctor that I referenced from the book that I was reading, his name was Dr. Joe Dispenza. Okay. Um, we got an email in from Reagan Kirk. Ah, that was... Old mate, old mate Reagan from Trainer Pulse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you yeah, can check yeah. out. He's got some actually really, really good uh, online software. It's just go to trainerpulse.com. Mm. Check that out if you are. In yeah, the I mean, I had a look. I, I stole quite a few uh, ideas from him, and uh, <laughs> didn't. Well, I won't credit him in any way, shape, or form. No. Rip it off completely, but yeah, it looks pretty slick. Yeah, but he was Reagan. just inquiring about the the author and the book. So the book is called. Hang on. You do like a book. I do like a book. So the book no. is called Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Oh, yes. By Dr. Joe Dispenza. And okay. he goes into the detail of stress and the physiology of stress. It's really interesting. Uh-huh. The one that I'm reading now is um, by a guy called Dr. Bruce Lipton, and it's called The Biology of, of Belief. Tea. <laughs> is that it? <laughs> tea leaves. No. Biology of uh, tea leaves. It's called The Biology of Belief. Oh. And he's a cell biologist, done uh-huh. a lot of uh, stem cell research. And okay. in the book, he goes through, I guess, the physiology of stress from another angle it's really good he talks about the actual process of uh, digestion oh, wow. a bit of epigenetics uh-huh. and links it all into how we you know the, how we perceive the world and how that affects our stress levels yeah so it's the same kind of uh, message as what Dispenza was saying so mm. those two books Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself from Dr. Joe Dispenza mm-hmm. and then The Biology of Belief from Dr. Bruce Lipton will give you a really good uh uh, understanding of mm. the actual physiology of stress yeah, yeah. and how it affects the human yeah, body. Yeah, maybe uh, you know, crack open an iced tea while you're uh, reading <laughs> yeah. that book. You know, that will really reduce cortisol. Yes, improve physiology a little. To learn more about Rawdon, they can go to the Dubois <laughs> Method. <laughs> if, Facebook, if you want to, Facebook and Instagram. Yes, and then for me, TomHewitt.com.au. Yes. <laughs> Uh, but before we go any further... Yeah, before uh, we go balls deep. Rawdon, we've got a listener question. This one comes in from Paul. Uh, hi, guys. Hey, Paul. Been listening to the show since the start, and I love it. Wow, that's going to be years uh, by now. Well, it is. Well, we're almost 50 episodes now. Mm. Yeah, pretty much. It's, this could uh, actually be 50. These podcasts come and go, Tom. They try and take <laughs> us on, but uh, they'll pump out a couple of episodes, and then yeah, they've forgotten. Yeah. It's hard work. It is hard work, mate. You know, this, this magic just doesn't happen overnight. That's hard work, having fun. It is. In today's environment, keeping stress low is hard yes. work. Cortisol. Uh, 
thanks for all the amazing guests. I especially liked early on the guys from T Nation, Christian T, Mountain Dog, etc. Oh yeah. Do you think you could get them on again? Also, I had a guest request which is a bit different. Mike O'Hearn would love to hear a podcast with him oh, yeah. where he goes into more depth on how he sets up his nutrition and supplementation. Mm. Also, another one, Joe Donnelly, an ex-NFL player and now another athlete-type trainer. Mm. Once again, thanks for the great show and I look forward to future episodes. Kind regards, Paul. All right, Paul. Well, that's a couple of uh, well, different well, first ones. first we might say thanks, Paul. I mean, Mike O'Hearn, that'd be a good scalp. Mate, he's, uh, he's pretty jacked, that dude, and he... Um does a lot of shoots and all that sort of stuff. It's part of what he does. Um, but just year round. Yeah, like yeah. I was just wondering. Um, that'd be a great question. Uh, good, good, good work, Paul. We'll see if we can, um, you know, uh, get him on. See if we can. Uh, someone knows someone who knows someone who's who's friends with uh, Mike, and we can uh, pull some strings, get him on. But that would be uh, quite an insight into yes. how he actually maintains that. His rig's good. Yeah, absolutely. Really good. Yeah. Um, look, he mentioned uh, Paul there. He also mentioned Christian Thibodeau. And, Tippy um, toes, as we like to call him. That's a nice little segue for us, mate, to yeah. um, plug the little Christian Thibodeau hypertrophy seminar that's coming to the Icon Performance Health Centre and also down in Melbourne. Yeah, it's a Iron Game gym, I think. Uh, Sam Hanna's place. Uh, that's if, the one. If anyone um, knows Sam, they know he's a pretty awesome dude, and uh, he's put his hand up to host it down there. So, so basically. Exciting. There's going to be two dates in Sydney, Saturday and Sunday, the 19th and 20th of November, and then a Wednesday, Thursday, which is the 23rd and the 24th. And then in Melbourne, it's the following Saturday, the 26th and the 27th of November. So your options there, they start on the the 19th and through to the 27th of November. Yep. The three different seminars. It's quite handy having that, uh, because weekends don't always work, Uh, just like weeks, midweek don't always work, but um, that'd be pretty good uh, with that that midweek one for for the guys that... uh, can't give up their entire weekend for a seminar yeah yeah so we've got i think there's maybe 20 or 25 spots available at each of those yeah and uh, they're actually filling out quite yeah surprisingly it's going really well it's going quite quickly and um and so there's a special price for under the bar listeners that's 950 dollars for the two-day seminar and you can just contact info at iconph.com.au to get those discounts and look I, one of my clients uh, Lenny Chad who's been around a while he owns uh, Signature Fitness in uh, Bondi he uh, just recently competed with your he guy recently looked, looked really good you know he's been following Tippy Toes for a while and he right. sort of want to get a few of the boys together to come along so you yep. might actually be able to get a group discount as well if you if you run yeah. a gym and you want to bring a few of your staff along or anything like that mm. and uh, also for those people who are in the fitness industry this is all tax deductible as well so it's for a, sure it's and, and remember it's the first time first time he's ever yeah, been in Australia yeah. so yeah uh, very, very exciting to have him out. It is exciting. The, the topics that he's going to cover over the two days, he's looking at isometric training, yep. uh, growth factors, and then optimal hypertrophy methods for the upper and the lower body. Was that bro factors or <laughs> growth factors? <laughs> no, mate, this will all be science-based. Oh. And, mate, of course, we, we did talk to Tippy Toes uh, quite a while back. Mate, I it's a while ago, but I remember there were some real gems in there. Oh, well, why don't I refresh you? Yeah, We've please got a, do. Got a little snippet cam if you could uh, pump this one out so we can have a listen. Well, eye threshold motor unit simply is like a, a more savant term so that I can sound smart instead of just... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, it, it basically means the fast twitch fibers, the fibers that are the strongest, that yep. uh, are, are the most powerful, and also are the most prone to increasing their size. So they have a much, much greater potential for actual hypertrophy of the muscle structure than the other muscle fibers you have. Mm. And they're also yep. the strongest. 
However, they don't have much endurance. They, they don't have much resiliency. So they, they, they gas out pretty fast, but they, they have a lot of horsepower. Mm -hmm. So to me, that it, these are the fibers that make up like explosive, muscular, uh, lean athletes. These fibers are built for strength and power. And so obviously the, the, to stimulate them, you need a heavy load. I mean, from experience, the, the magic starts to happen at 80% of your maximum. So, and for muscle mass, that 80 to 85% range is just about the sweet spot. I mean, you don't need to go powerlifting heavy to get maximum uh, high threshold hypertrophy. In fact, it's probably suboptimal. The, the low reps, like the sets of one, two, and three reps, are useful to learn to recruit fast fibers. And the better you are at recruiting them, the more you'll be able to make them grow in the future. Yes. I, I see maximal lifting, like a 90, 95%, 100%, as an investment in your future gains. Yeah. Because you're programming your body to be able to recruit those fibers better. Whereas the actual growth of those fibers will occur mostly in the three to six rep range, or like functional hypertrophy. So there he was on the fast yeah. twitch fibers. It makes a lot of sense when you listen to that again. Mm, mm, he's it, a smart guy. He is indeed. It's it's funny, Rod. I'm not sure about you, but um, for your you you know your demographics mm. much different. And you yes. you know you use all sorts of things to get uh, these, all sorts of magic <laughs> lotions and to, potions to get Tommy. these guys in shape. I wish it's leave of tricks. Absolutely. Mm. But for myself, you know, really, there, there hasn't been that many times when I've given pure hypertrophy rep ranges you know those 12 to 14s yeah and really got good gains from that with mm. with general clientele now whether that's a a factor of just average joe not being able to recover from those kind of workouts mm. or get all the food in or you know there's a myriad of things that that roll into it but mm. definitely what what he's saying there and with my experience as well the most steady consistent good growth tends to happen in that in that functional hypertrophy rep range and it, maybe it's just that you need to have a certain amount of load mixed in with some higher sure. volume to hit those fibers but yeah. uh, that makes sense what he's saying yeah i mean um i think at the end of the day you really and if you look back at the programs that you did have the most success with there probably was a, a an array of repetitions yes you do do the functional hypertrophy four to six to six to eights but then you, you you probably have some uh more of those accessory lifts where you are going to work uh, more of that m metabolite that that volume sarcoplasmic uh, mm. cell swelling type hypertrophy but the reality is if you're chasing hypertrophy then and, and i know uh brad schoenfeld uh you know will explain this you know a guy that uh, is doing some pretty good research uh these days well, very good research yes uh but he's using they're tapping into um, a decent demographic so uh, trained individuals as opposed to yeah. you know put up a poster at uni hey uh hypertrophy experiment and you get you know couple of cam 10 ca cams ca coming ca in. cams coming in <laughs> eating their chicken snitties and they they you know anything's going to work with those guys so yeah. you know the the results they get it's it's uh, hard to you know conclude outcomes but 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 uh brad's doing some really good stuff and, and using you know tapping into a great demographic there with trained individuals but but at the end of the day like he, he will say yeah there's different drivers of hypertrophy and and, and definitely uh working with a higher percentage of your 1rm seems to influence but but volume uh, is also a key driver of frequency and like you said there's lots of variables mm. but as long as i think you are programming some nice uh albeit not the one to threes and, 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 and those sorts of things, although Christian, you know, is of the opinion, uh, spending some time with that, uh, yeah. you know, just the ability to switch on the nervous system and actually recruit those uh, 
you know, relatively dormant muscle fibers for a lot of people uh, will, will pay dividends over time in lifting, uh, you know, at a higher percentage of your 1RM for your hypertrophy work. But yes. as long as I think you have some of the lower rep, you know, four to sixes or, or, or six to eights and then and then some of that higher rep work uh, for a, from a hypertrophy perspective, you, you really can't go... Because you're covering all your bases. Well, covering you know? all bases, yeah. What I'm looking forward to with this seminar is just, you know, be able to spend some time and pick his brains on this, this kind yeah. of stuff because I know Christian has spent quite a lot of time writing about and building methodologies around that functional hypertrophy rep range and I'm excited that's, yeah. well, that's what I like doing I'm excited to see what kind of training methods and, yeah. and new programming techniques and stuff I can you know put into the armory so it's, it's yeah, exciting you especially you really love that uh, that that functional that but, but all jokes aside you're like that, that it seems to really gel with you those yeah. those, those four to sixes six to eights that that rep range there, you, you seem to uh, really enjoy spending yeah. time there. The funny spot. thing is, like I've gravitated since my, um, you know, my, <coughs> you know, surgery. <laughs> I, um, you know, like I'm a little more reluctant to spend so much time chasing that uh, 300 kilo deadlift or the, you know, the 200 kilo bench or w- whatever I'm chasing, and then mm. I'm actually spending more time in that. Uh, higher rep bracket yes because uh, I'm starting to work with uh, with uh, Jason from evidence based training now uh, based in the US so his program is, is you know I think it's 8 to 10s and a couple of 12 to 15s but there's no mm. low rep stuff and, and for me you know it's great like uh, I'm enjoying the challenge yeah. my body seems to be growing yeah, yeah, yeah. you know so but you've spent all those years yes. putting the investment into yeah. the fast switch fibers when exactly. I first knew you it was predominantly ones and threes and threes yeah, and fives exactly. And, exactly and so you are you know you've developed a real good base of that fast switch fiber and 100%. now um, this this new world of volume yeah. um, is really paying dividends so yeah, yeah. I mean this is the thing, Rob. We can talk about this all day and go we around could. in circles. There's no right or wrong. And, and at the end of the day, also, Tom Cam will pay no attention whatsoever. <laughs> and then he'll, he'll go to the doctor and the doctor will say, you should do some weight training. And yeah. then he'll go do it. All of a sudden and then he'll feel great and uh, his bone density will go up. And he'll just feel really good about himself <laughs> and look good. And then he'll be pulling lots of women. And uh, then he'll say, hey, you know, I should have been listening to you guys for the last uh, three years of talking about hypertrophy training. But, yeah, it is. we could talk all day. Anyway, so the dates for that, once again, we're looking from the 19th of November through to the 27th, which is down in Melbourne. Uh, Email info at iconph.com.au to get that special discount price for the seminar with uh, Tippy Toes. Dr. Mark Schaus, part two. Coming uh, up. Coming up right now where he goes uh, balls deep into uh, organ mm. physiology. And really reaches into that wizard sleeve. <laughs> and the Ooh, wizard sleeve, Tom. Metabolic panel. <laughs> yes. Part two. Yes. A little deeper into the lab coat now. Yeah. And we'll look at a, uh, a CMP or a, a comprehensive metabolic profile. Or serum chemistry, yep. Shalsi, would you say that this is a bit of a, an overview of organ health and uh, electrolyte status of the body? Yeah, and this is the fundamentals of human life. Okay. Uh, okay. When I look at people, the first thing I want to look at are your electrolytes balanced because how do you think your brain works? How do you think your nervous system works? It's a okay. sodium potassium pump, period. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's how it functions. And if that's screwed up, you can't think properly. Your nervous system doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, your adrenals are requiring sodium. In order to relax your muscle, you need potassium. So when you look at that, bicarbs are very important when you're working out because it buffers the lactic acid. Calcium 
bones, yep. but not just calcium. It's is it a hard bone, you know, or is it a soft one? Uh, phosphorus is important for energy production and ATP. So yep. I look at the sodium, the potassium, the chloride, the bicarb, calcium, the phosphate. Are okay. they all in balance? If not, that's my foundation. Okay. I gotta make that foundation work. If I have a house. And I don't give a damn about my foundation, and I'm always worried about why the roof is leaking. I'm never going to fix that leaky roof because the foundation's shifting. Mm. I can build that great foundation and say, okay, let's get this basic building block of my human health house okay. on solid ground and make it work right. Then I can start building everything up from there. The other ones I want to look at is my kidney functioning properly, that filter to get the stuff out of my body that I don't want in there. Is my liver, my you know, basically my cleaning crew okay. is getting rid of all the crap I've got in my body from being in an environment in our world that's toxic. You know, am I producing enough antioxidants, which is things like the urate or here in the States we call it uric acid. Yep. It's the most predominant antioxidant in the human body. When it's elevated, you know, people go, oh, your gout and things like that. To me, it's saying, hey, I've got a real oxidation problem and my body's doing the best damn thing it can. And the reason that big toe is hurting is because the body is banging on that toe going, hey, pay attention. <laughs> you're, 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 you're doing something stupid here. You're doing something in your diet and in your behavior pattern that's causing me to have to produce all this uric acid and I'm gonna bang that big toe and make it hurt until you stop. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Okay. So before we, uh, that's a bit of a snapshot as to what we're looking at here. Let's go back to the um, electrolytes, the sodium, the potassium, the chloride, the bicarbonate, the calcium, and the phosphate. You mentioned in part one that a healthy blood panel might take six to 12 months to actually manifest on the uh, reference ranges. With the electrolytes, is it simply a matter of, uh, you know, get a, a Chaussee's electrolyte blend, get that down the hatch, and these things should uh, regulate themselves very quickly, or yeah. is this a, a longer-term approach to build health as well? With most people, it can be really improved within weeks, mm, so it wow. can go very rapidly. Well, that's uh, encouraging. You just have to be uh, cognizant of the problem. Uh, what we find in the Western diet, we get a lot of sodium, but not terribly excessive. You know, there's been all this rage in the public media. Oh, we're getting way too much sodium. We got to cut it back, cut it back. We get about a gram more, the average person, a gram more a day. Really, when you look at what a gram is, that's like Much. a pinch. Yeah. Very yep. little. But the potassium deficiency is twice as big. It's over two grams a day, which is a couple of pinches. But when you start adding that up, one gram too much of sodium, two grams too little of potassium every day for 20 years. Yes. That builds right. up to a lot. Yep. But it's what's nice is your body can rapidly change this. It wants to stay in the middle with your electrolytes, whether it's sodium, potassium, chloride, bicarb, you just got to give it what it needs. And it will start adjusting itself very rapidly. And I've looked at these blood tests. I've you know, done it myself. I was the guinea pig yeah. for the research institute back in the 80s when we would take super high doses of electrolytes. Hmm. And we'd monitor ourselves with blood tests every week. And we would see changes within a week okay. that were pretty spectacular if you take the right amount. So obviously you, you, you outlined the, the fundamental, um, how these electrolytes are going to uh, affect the physiology uh, when we intro this segment. The sodium, potassium, chloride, the bicarbonate, the uh, calcium, and the, the, the phosphate or phosphorus, 
Um, are we looking for middle of the reference range here? Is it as simple as uh, when they're low, they're just going to be low and outside the reference range? Or is this a little like the, the, the TSH or the thyroid stimulating hormone where it might be dumped at the bod just inside the reference range, but for you and your experience, that also is indicative of, a, of a, an electrolyte imbalance, essentially. Yeah, sometimes it's, if it's a little high of sodium, a little low of potassium, that's and they're still both in the reference range, but the ratio to two of them is off. The calcium to the phosphorus, that's another one. If one's a little high, one's a little low, or vice versa. That's showing you problems. But potassium, and, and again, this is one of the few times I'm going to go reference range. Normal is 3.5 to 4.5. And I went through a practitioner recently, and mine was 3.9, and I went, I'm concerned about that. That's too low. That's showing me some problems. And she goes, oh, I'm not worried until it's out of reference range. And I'm going, no. Uh, in all these tens of thousands of tests I've seen, if I ever see the potassium under 4.0, I'm looking at the person. Do you have problems with tightness of muscles? Do you have depression? Okay. Are you stressed? And I would say 98, 99% of the time, one of those answers is yes. If it's 4.0 to 4.5, the answer most of the time is no. Okay. So it's just that subtle little difference is enough to say, hmm. And I've talked to a number of practitioners who had, you know, really look at those numbers and nurses as well. Nurses know it far better than most doctors. And they'll go, yeah, if it's just a little bit low, we start seeing those symptoms. Interesting. Fascinating. Okay. With the uh, the sodium chassis, there's been a few articles going around recently, actually, about sodium levels in Western diet and whatever else. Is that a little bit like the cholesterol, you know, where obviously processed salt's probably not the best thing, but is there any real concern to have quite a lot of sodium in your nutrition? Yeah. I mean, if you have too much sodium, you're going to cause, you know, hypertension is a problem. Yeah. But when they did the studies and started reducing sodium, I said, well, this, if we reduce the sodium, we're going to reduce hypertension, we'll reduce cardiovascular disease. And they found out, not really. <laughs> didn't seem to have that much of an effect. There were some studies that showed the effect, but I looked at them and some of them had some very you know, questionable statistics used. But okay. when you really did the study right, lowering sodium didn't seem to have that much of a, an effect. Potassium, on the other hand, when that was raised, and that you get primarily from things like you know, vegetables, fruits, things like that, the good stuff that we should be eating, yeah. all of a sudden their cardiovascular disease went down. It's not the excessive sodium, I think, that's the real problem. Right, it's the depression of the potassium okay. intake. Because we're eating foods that are high in sodium, low in potassium, where we should be eating the exact opposite. Okay. So if you're a healthy individual and you're eating plenty of fruits and veggies and whole foods and you like to crack a bit of the Himalayan salt over everything, Maybe uh, rock salt. Uh, the France, uh, the fields of France. Or the true Celtic. True Celtic salt, yes. Um, then that should all balance itself out reasonably nicely. Yeah, because your body has a phenomenal system for getting rid of excess of sodium and excess of potassium. Okay. It tries to keep that balance really well. It's when you keep on pushing that balance every single day in one direction that it loses its abilities. Okay, so before we dive uh, balls deep into the next one, an electrolyte blend, I mean, not necessarily, they don't have to buy yours uh, particularly, although yours is fantastic, but um, uh, some sort of electrolyte blend would get them out of the, the woods with that one if they see some irregularities or, or, or uh, uh, those electrolytes all over the place? Yeah, the big thing is potassium should be over sodium two to one. 
Okay, so electrolyte, electrolyte uh, formula with uh, higher potassium than sodium. Right, and and I got into an argument with a uh, uh, a trainer once about this, and she said, "Well, you know, I look at these professional athletes, and after a workout, their potassium levels are high, which means they don't need any more potassium." And I went, uh, "Do you know what you do when you work out? You break up your cells. Yeah. That's what you do. You're tearing down your cells. Mm -hmm. What's inside your cells? More potassium than sodium. It's indicative that you're actually breaking up <laughs> breaking your cells. Yeah. The, the potassium's pouring out, and it's getting into the bloodstream, so you're losing it." Right. Okay. Yeah. And and okay. I think also um, Wolfgang Unsol wasn't he? Uh, didn't he fly the flag for potassium as being a bit of a, yes. a game changer? I, I as well? think he actually likes some sort of potassium around. Uh, was it even intra workout? I think he was. Yeah, some sort of uh, potassium blend that he uses. Yeah. So um, definitely. All right. Cool. Moving on. So you mentioned uh, urea byproduct of protein metabolism. That one. Like, what's that one indicative of? Right. And when you're looking at urea and creatine, creatine is very much related to the creatinine, okay. which we, you know, or creatine is what we take as you know when we work out, and yep. the creatinine level will relate to that. So it's really low. We're going well. Maybe we're not converting it the proteins into the proper. Uh, compounds that we knew when we take a complete protein our body breaks it down into component amino acids it starts going out and doing its thing when we look at the bun or the urea and the creatinine, and we look at a kidney function we look at is the proteins being metabolized and utilized properly we see it too elevated we're looking well maybe we have some problems with the kidney being able to clear and i have seen athletes who overdo the proteins and their kidney function is way off and, and you're almost looking that they're going to have to do dialysis so bad okay, in order yeah. to get because the kidneys are failing because they're doing too much creatine, they're doing too much protein, and they're not, you know, able to clear it properly. So okay. that's an important part of the test. Look at are we, you know, is our kidney functioning right and okay. processing those proteins correctly? Chelsea, we're just on the uh, protein and excessive protein in kidney because there's. Uh Arguments on either side here. People say, you know, you can't eat that much protein. It's going to really affect your kidneys unless you've got some sort of underlying kidney issue to start with. Yeah. Can you just explain how the kidney's like a filter? Just a, a brief overview of kidney function and how the mechanism that excessive protein does affect the kidneys. Now, one of the big things is something called the urea cycle. It's a cycle where we, the body, as it starts pro processing proteins, can turn it into ammonia. And ammonia, as we would think, is caustic. It's stuff we use to clean our counters and floors. If it builds up too much and the body's not able to, what we call, deaminize it and get rid of it, we can cause some problems to our kidneys, to our brain, to our nervous system, to our bladders. Uh, we have certain things that help cycle through, like arginine, alpha-ketoglutarate, and bicarbonates are real important. And to a lesser extent, the amino acid ornithine helps to break this, these compounds down get into a non-toxic form so the body can throw out the urea and just, you know, and that's why you urinate to get rid of these excesses. But when you overload the system and or you have a genetic factor like an arginase enzyme deficiency where you can't seem to break down that ammonia, then you start getting into problems. So some people, proteins can be an issue and that's where the anti-protein people point out, well, this person had no kidney failure because yeah. they ate too much protein. Well, they had a genetic disorder, and all you had to do is give them 500 milligrams of arginine, and that would have been over with. So for the average person, I mean, how much 
and we roared an eye chuck around these numbers and we've had numerous people on the show that, that say, you know, 1.8 grams of uh, protein per kilo of body weight's more than enough to support muscle growth and detox and whatever else. Like, well, what sort of numbers, when do you tip it way over the scale? Uh, I, I look at the normal being between 1.6 to 2.2, okay. which 1.8 would be right in the middle. All right, that's you know, it, that's about where you get your benefits, but it also has to do with your activity. Exactly. If you're getting 2.2 and you sit on the couch all day long, yeah, yeah, it yeah, might right. be a little too excessive. Okay. Or if you have an arginase or an ornithine, uh, you know, deficiency, enzyme deficiency because of genetics, then that might be way overloaded. Okay. And there's a small sliver of people that need to go down to 1.1, 1.2. Their okay. genetics are like that. That was their lifestyle of their. Yep you know, their heritage for a long period of time. But if you're an active person, 1.6 to 2.2, your kidneys can handle that. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. Okay. Tell me, uh, before we move on from urea, if it is uh, slightly elevated, uh, can you draw any conclusions with, okay, protein intake's a little bit high or not necessarily a correlation with uh, excessive protein intake and high urea? Uh, and is high urea, because um, I have been told that Generally, a, a diet higher in protein will generally see the urea uh, slightly elevated. Um, anything to be concerned about just outside the reference range? Indicative of uh, too much protein, or is it okay if you're a uh, training individual with a lot of protein turnover? I, I just think it's it's okay, but you have to also make sure you're hydrated enough. Okay, so hydration. You know, that you can dilute it a little bit, you know, and make it a little easier on the kidneys. Your kidneys are going to be stressed by taking a high-protein diet, whether you're active or not. Yeah. But if you give it enough fluid and dilute it enough, then you should be able to. Because remember, when you do these blood tests, you're not supposed to be drinking anything for about 8 to 10 hours. Thank you. not eating, so you're a little in a state of somewhat dehydration. All right. So, so, so if you drink enough fluids, you're diluting this. So... You know, if a person drank a few cups of water before they did the blood test, they, you know, probably see it coming. Your real levels go down. Okay, right, beautiful, very good. And I suppose also uh, before we move on, uh, you know, uh, slightly elevated in isolation. Okay, hydration, that's fine. Protein intake, tick. But I guess if it was with the creatinine and uh, you know other markers being elevated, uh, you might want to look into it a little deeper. I guess. Yeah, I, if I see some, you know, elevations in a few of the markers, like the, you know, EGFR is low. Yeah, what's that uh, one a marker of, Mark? EGFR. Th that's the that's one of the best markers that we know now of how the kidneys are actually functioning. Okay. Uh, it's a calculation that's done based on the urea and the creatinine and others, but it really gives you a nice figure of, is the you know if we look at the elevated urea and maybe the creatinine is a little high, but the EGFR is okay. And your kidney function is not too bad. Okay. But when that number starts plummeting, then we go, okay, we got a kidney problem. We got to start looking at this. Okay. And so that's and that's only been around for a few years. Uh, they used to do the bun creatinine level as that ratio as being so important, but found out eh, it's not that accurate. But that EGFR is really accurate in telling us if our kidney function's okay. Awesome. Well, that's really good. Okay. We're starting to get like a. I feel like I can go interpret some uh, blood chemistry now, Tom. I think I might request <laughs> Don't some get blood. Now, <laughs> oh, got it. Kidneys, good. All right. Uh, urate quickly. Um, you did mention it earlier. Urate. What's that one? Uh, that was the uh, antioxidant. I think you you mentioned exactly. It's one of the. It is the one of the finest measures of the risk of developing cardiovascular disease that we oh, know of. Interesting. Uh, again, the Lancet magazine uh, medical journal from the UK 
had a great study showing it very, the higher the urate level, the more likely you are to have a cardiovascular event because the real problem with cardiovascular disease is oxidation. And if uric acid is the predominant antioxidant that the body produces, and it's high, it's going, I am oxidizing too much, I need help here. Either you change your diet or you get me some more antioxidants, do something. And it's, I, I think it's a fabulous marker for right. telling people, do we have an issue? Now, conversely, there is, and, and in laboratory work, there's very rarely 100% correlation in something. When uric, if people have multiple sclerosis or have been diagnosed with it, there's never been a case where they had high uric acid, ever. And we're talking millions of cases. MS patients tend to have very low uric acid levels. And one of the theories is, is because the myelin sheath is oxidized and the body's not producing this antioxidant to protect the nervous system. Okay. That's one of the many theories of MS, so it's not the only one, but it is a very curious finding. So I don't like seeing uric acid too low and certainly not high. All right. So if it's high, that's saying you're doing something, something in your diet, and it happened to me. And I looked at it, and my uric acid was high, and I went, okay, Shaus, you got to do something. <laughs> Because you're doing something wrong here. Mm -hmm. And it was a real wake-up call, and I think it's a very important test. And it's very often left off the lab tests. They don't think it's that necessary. In the United States, it's almost, I mean, they will not pay for it if you're over uh, 60. And they said they won't test you for uh, uric acid unless you've been diagnosed with gout. Well, guess how you diagnose gout? You test uric acid. Uric acid. <laughs> Chicken with the egg. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, I can't look at the chicken or the egg. Yeah. You're not allowed to look at either one of them. Mm. <laughs> and so good luck right. with that. So I think it's a it's a fabulous uh, element to look at. All right. Cardiovascular market there. Very good. All right. Moving right along to uh, the Billy Rubin before we dive into the liver with ALT, ASD. Billy Rubin, uh, fat metabolism, gallbladder function. What's that one, mate? Yeah, and, and you've got it right there. I mean, it's, is the gallbladder working? Is it metabolizing fats? Uh, you know, are your biliary ducts getting clogged when it's too elevated? Uh, there are certain, what, what happens is, is bilirubin is produced when hemoglobin is being broken down. And hemoglobin is, that carries oxygen around in your red blood cells. Yep. And so as your cells get regenerated, hemoglobin breaks down. If your body can get rid of it, Billy Rubin stays normal. If you have a problem with it, it rises. There are certain people who will have high Billy Rubin levels. Uh, alcoholics are one, if you drink too much alcohol. But also, if you live at an altitude. Yeah. So people who live way up there that need a lot more hemoglobin, they're going to have higher Billy Rubin levels. I used to live in Lake Tahoe. Uh, you know, We were at 6,500, 7,000 feet high. We all had high hemoglobin levels. We had pretty much higher bilirubin levels than most people. Okay. You live down at sea level, it should be lower. So there's a couple of little twists to it, but if it's elevated too long, that's telling me there's some problems with liver fat metabolism. Got to look at lifestyle again. All right. Yep, yep. Before we, uh, we go balls deep to the liver, just on fat metabolism, maybe a silly question, Chelsea, but can you just explain what the, how the gallbladder works in that process? 
Well, what it does is it tries to break down the fat into so it can be actually removed any excess from the body. And it produces something called bile acids. And these bile acids will, as you might suspect, break down that fat and make it into smaller pieces so they can be removed. Okay. And you don't want big fat globs coming out because that just jams up the, the pipes. So you want to kind of break them down so they can flow out easier. And one of the uh, amino acids that's necessary is taurine. Taurine helps your body produce more bile acids, helps you, you know, metabolize your fats better so they don't clog things up. So the gallbladder has been thought of as, you know, kind of like not that important of an organ, but it sure is. And is that a concern for people who eat a high-fat diet, or is it certain types of fat that are an issue there? Like, because most people that listen to this would probably, the bulk of their oh, yeah. calories would come from fats. Is, is that any concern? Well, as long as they're getting their proteins in, you know, they're going to be fine because they'll have enough taurine in their diets. Okay. Meat contains taurine, you know, so if you're eating a, and I've seen this happen before, vegan diets, vegetarian diets don't get any protein, but they'll throw the fat in there. Right. And they start getting problems. Interesting. Because okay. they don't get enough taurine to break down the fats and to mycelize it and make it into smaller parts. So it starts jamming up those little tubes that try to, uh, you know, circulate around the body. Okay. okay. All right. Very good. Very good. Very good. Okay. Righto. Excellent. So, so we've done the kidneys. We've done the gallbladder. Let's go to the liver. And you describe the liver as the cleaning crew, Shousey. And you've mentioned it has to metabolize fats. And obviously it's, it plays a key role in detoxification. Yep. Um, would you say it's one of the harder working organs in humans these days? Oh, I'd say, you know, the heart, the brain, the liver. And the liver is the one that's given the short shrift. It's not being looked at enough. By most people mm. you know they all concentrate on the brain and the heart but guess what everything that circulates through the brain and the heart has to go through the liver so, and if the liver lets it go through and it's not good it's going to affect the brain and the heart and the rest of the body right. so that liver is what's going to control whether you're healthy or not and you okay. keep on straining it you give it too much alcohol you give it too much garbage food and you're going to strain it over time. But what's remarkable, it is the most resilient of all the organs in the human body. It will rebuild itself. It, you can keep on beating it down and it'll keep on coming back Very until cool. it just says, I had enough and it gives up. Okay. Yeah. And the, the markers there, ALT, AST, usually uh, that would be in the, the, the routine blood chemistry panel. They're um, enzymes that, if the liver is stressed, will be elevated. Is that right, uh, Mark? Right. And if they're depressed, it means your liver is inefficient and it's not working properly. Okay. So it goes both ways. And, and too often, they'll, they'll have reference ranges which start at zero. You have a zero in ALT, AST, or GGT. You are in serious trouble. <laughs> okay. That means your liver enzymes are not being produced. Yeah. And you're, you know, again, oh, he was in the reference range. Yeah, he's dead, but, you know, the numbers look good. <laughs> so middle of the reference range for those. Uh, you mentioned GGT. Is that another one liver-related? That's liver-related, also protein-related, and interestingly, magnesium-related. Okay. Uh, it is a magnesium-dependent enzyme, and if low, can give us a hint that maybe this person is functionally magnesium-deficient. Okay. So elevations can tell us some problems. You know, liver's not performing right. We're not processing our proteins right. But when it's really low, that could be a functional magnesium deficiency marker. 
Okay. Um, with the ALT and the AST, Shousey, uh, something that you know, Rod and I have spoken about, and Rodden talks about, is that you know, in very hard training individuals, people who are breaking down a lot of muscle tissue and there's high protein turnover, that if the ALT and AST, as Rawdon says, if they're not up a little bit, then he knows these guys aren't training hard <laughs> enough. Do we expect to have a slightly higher uh, liver markers? Absolutely, and that, that's one of the things that I've gotten a patent on was uh, in analyzing lab tests back in the uh, mid-90s was that certain circumstances, reference ranges that we use for normal people or what we call normal, you know, today it's the guy who sits on the couch 24 hours a day, yeah. uh, they're different from the elite athlete or the person who's training. The person who's training, they're breaking down their cells. The liver's starting to work, getting rid of some of this material. It has to work a little harder. Mm. So those numbers are high. And, and in the class that I gave in Australia a number of years ago, I presented one you know, one case and I asked everybody, well, what's wrong with this woman? And they'll go, oh, she's got you know heart disease because her cholesterol's up and these liver enzymes and uric acid levels are up and oh, all these different diseases. And I went, nah, she's pregnant. Yeah, right. That's what's up. Yeah. It's because the uric acid is supposed to be higher when she's pregnant. Her cholesterol is supposed to be high in her third trimester. There's nothing wrong with her, unless you think being pregnant is a problem. But it's natural. An athlete should be higher in certain things. Okay. You should be a little higher in uric acid, a little higher in those liver enzymes. Yep. So with those liver enzymes, we like to train hard. Most of these people that listen to it, they're... Athlete, well, I don't. Athletes in their own right. Um, you mentioned the resiliency of the liver, but should we be trying to do some bits and pieces on the side to try and support the liver? Are there any things in the realms of supplementation that you're doing these days that, that are effective in supporting liver function? You know, one of the things I, I always like is milk thistle as an herb. It actually, stim- in the studies they've shown, it stimulates the DNA and the regeneration of liver cells. Okay. Is that uh, silymarin as well? Uh, That's silymarin, yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's the that's the one that the main component of milk thistle that actually helps the liver regenerate itself. Okay, milk a little, thistle. Little side note there. I'll Very good, Tom. I'll put that one on the list. Uh, alkaline phosphatase is that another that can be elevated for the trained individual? And what that what's that one related to, mate? Well, you think of alkaline phosphatase is an enzyme that actually helps the body uh, rebuild and it creates more cells. It's telling the body, hey, we've got to start producing more cells. So if we break a leg. Alkaline phosphatase goes up. The body's going, i got to repair this area. Let's send this enzyme out, call on the cells, start building. Problem is, what if you didn't? It is also a marker for metastasized cancer when it's very elevated. That means that, and cancer should be defined as the abnormal growth and rate of growth of cells. So it's growing too much and proliferating, and you see these elevations in alkaline phosphatase. So if I see a sedentary person with an alk that's moderately elevated, I get a little worried and start looking at lifestyle, looking at other factors. But if I'm looking at a very active person, their body's trying to rebuild. Alkaline phosphatase will be slightly higher. So it's not only just, you know, is it in these ranges and where do they lie, but what the person does. Right, lifestyle. Sedentary, not so good. Mm-hmm. If it's elevated, active, not too bad. Okay. okay. But if it's deficient, it's a very good marker as a functional marker for zinc deficiency because it's okay. a zinc def- dependent enzyme like GGT was the magnesium dependent very one. Very good. Okay. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Back to the basics again. Back to the basics, yeah. All right, last couple to round out this uh, CMP is uh, both 
proteins. Uh, protein uh, as a blood marker. What's I mean, is that just indicative of protein intake? Yeah. Like, what's that a reflection of? And uh, albumin in this one as well to wrap it up. What are yeah, these protein is important. You know, I mean, we we look at it. Uh, it's you can have normal protein levels in the blood and take very high quantities of it, and have normal levels when you don't take a lot of protein in it. It's when they start going trending do- towards the bottom when you're long-term low protein then you start seeing these markers going down and if you're taking it too much protein and it's not breaking down to its component parts it's the amino acids that could be then converted into different types of proteins that's when we see a problem but albumin is a really interesting one because elevated albumin levels well still in the reference range are actually markers for longevity okay. that if you have high albumin levels, you tend to live longer than if you have low albumin levels. I used to work with a uh, cancer clinic, and we would look at their lab tests and see what the prognosis of their longevity was with their cancers. We had a woman who had stage four breast cancer, had high albumin levels. I've talked to her every summer for the past 17 years. Wow. <laughs> we're, we're, we're waiting for her call for year 18 t- uh, this month. Right, and do you know what the mechanism is there, Chelsea? Well, that's the thing that's puzzling everybody, because how do you raise albumin levels? Well, one of the only studies we've seen that was really that, that worked was washing your hands a lot. Makes no sense, <laughs> unless you think maybe it has to do with the immune system. Yeah. Okay. And we're now seeing that some of the most successful new treatments of cancers are stimulating your immune system. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Well, that would make sense. Start following that going, if I wash my hands a lot, I'm killing all these bugs. And it's not stressing my immune system and can fight the cancers. Interesting. Fascinating. So we got something here. And, and the globulin, of course, which is you know, we didn't mention here, is yeah, globulin, globulin plus albumin equals total protein. Yeah. And globulin's involved in you know IgG, IgE, IgA, all these different immune system responses. So it's the balance of those that are really critical. And seeing so... It gives you a little insight as to how healthy the person is. You know, higher albumin levels, you've got a good chance of living quite a while. Okay, okay. so the globulin and the albumin uh, combined equal the protein. Correct. And uh, the globulin, what's that one a marker of? Uh, that was telling to? me my immune competency. If it's low, you tend to have a lot more immune problems. Okay. Uh, you're not able to mount an immune defense as well. Okay. And if it's elevated, sometimes you have more reactivity, say, to foods okay. and food additives into your environment. So you get more uh, allergies. Okay. And and the albumin, okay, you mentioned that uh, longevity when it's high. But what that what's that one? Uh, uh, it's a protein that carries hormones around the blood. Like what, what does that one do? Yeah. And, and if it's not adequate, and then you have your transport mechanisms. Because your body has to transport things from one compartment to another, from muscles, right. different tissues to the brain. And it needs something to carry it around, and albumin's important in that. So if it's low, uh, the tra- it's kind of like not having a good uh, transportation system in your city. You, know, uh, you can't get people around. They're standing okay. around. They're not getting the job done. So if albumin's too depressed, it can't transport a lot of things around and can't get the job done. Okay. So your body's becoming more inefficient. All righty. All right. Okay. Well, it's, a, it's a little dry, this one, I, I must say, but uh, we're getting a, a nice uh, overview of uh, the, the, the blood chemistry markers here, Chelsea, which is awesome. 
So, uh, Tommy, are we wrapping that one up and we're going to go on to the next segment? Yeah, I think we will. So we're cool with the electrolytes now. Yep. We understand the importance of the balance yep. there. And, and once again, healthy uh, lifestyle choices and whole foods. Quality electrolyte blend, blend. With, a, with a potassium uh, higher than two to sodium. One. Two to yep. one. Two to one. You're good to go there. So the kidneys, yep. the kidneys are the filter. And that whilst we're training individuals, that higher protein intake between the 1.6 up to the 2.2 should be sweet as long as you're not sitting on the couch. The urea, the crown and the EGFR for those. All very good. Now the liver or the, the gallbladder, we'll, yep, we yep. touched on that one briefly and I think mm. that's an organ that is you know, much oh, it's maligned. It's underrated, Tom. The, the fat metabolism, yep. uh, but you need to make sure you have adequate protein with that one as well to yep. supply the, the materials for the for the processing there. That's all yep. good. Liver, Victorine. that's the powerhouse. Everything goes to the liver first. Mm. We're happy well, it's heart, brain, then liver. It's very important. Uh, yes, exactly right. So um, it does work hard, but uh, for training individuals, we should expect it to be working hard yep. and maybe a little bit of milk thistle on the side just to keep supporting Slimarin. things. Uh, the ALT, AST, and GGT are the markers there. We're all good to go there. And then uh, some of those protein uh, markers, Rawdon, the, the, the protein, the, the albumin, and the globulin. So the albumin and the globulin add up to protein. To the protein. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. I reckon that is... Uh... And then we're practically doctors. <laughs> yeah. We'll, 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 we'll post out the degrees in the, in the mail. One step closer to being a doctor. Was Dr. Mark Schaus? Part two, and he'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks' time for part three. I just—it's an interview that keeps on going. We're going to really milk that one. Absolutely milk it. Um, make milk some nice, uh, some nice analogies there. The, the the kidney is the filter of the body, and the liver uh-huh. coming in as the cleaning crew. Yes. Uh, the importance of hydration, and uh-huh. and I guess the importance of the balance of all these electrolytes as well, and mm. how that affects we're, we're, brain health and the nervous system function. Yeah, really, you got to buy his uh, electrolyte formula. I think uh, it was the uh, underlying message there. Yes, and uh, the milk thistle was the one that he recommended for the liver, and that's. It seems to be across the board. Everyone says a bit of the yeah, milk thistles tends, think, to, um, tends to go all right. Might, you know, a bit of uh, bro science lowers SHBG, frees up uh, testosterone and stuff like that as well, I think. But, uh, yeah, I mean, mm. I do with some of my guys. I, 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 I like to use a bit of milk thistle. He'll be back next time round to talk about more hematology, so the health of the blood and the immune system. Okay, Looking excellent. Looking forward to that. Now, of course, Rodan, the Chariots of Fire music is... Well, it's controversial. It's very controversial. Mr. Uh, Mr. Uh, Justin... He didn't uh, like from it. From Tassie. But we've had uh, an email in from Ryan. Mm. Uh, Ryan says, we love it. Please don't change. All of my, all five of my people are huge fans. Inspirational. Well, that's so I guess five that, against one. I guess that's our seven listeners. Yes. Yeah. Ryan, his five mates, and Justin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, see, you're outnumbered there. Yeah. Sorry, uh, <laughs> Mr. Smith. Yes. That's been another episode. Send us an email with any questions or feedback through to info at underthebarpodcast.com. Go to underthebarpodcast.com just to uh, have a look at some of our blog posts and yep. uh, get some content there. Uh, check me out, tomhewitt.com.au and the, the elusive du- the elusive Dubois method, uh, dot com or the Dubois method Facebook and Instagram. Excellent. Thanks, Cam. <laughs>